Beloved, at the time of Christ, there was a rabbinical prayer that went as follows. Lord, thank you that I'm not a Gentile and that I'm not a woman. Now, I trust you know that that is not a good prayer, that it's not good thinking. But why? What is the justification for that? What is the justification for the absolute equality of worth and essence of male and female that God made in his own image? And the evolutionist has no answer. You can't map the equality of worth and essence of man and woman into a survival of the fittest map. Uh, The atheist has no justification, no reason, no defense for the equality, consensus, pragmatism, religion. You try to map the equality of man and woman into the Sharia law of Islam, for example. It will fall radically short. You see, without the universal invariant abstract, unyielding inerrant word of God, one is left to one's own fancies or the whims of man to try to come up with a reason, with a defense, with a justification for that. And the reality is the whims of man's bends and blows and changes as with the wind. But you see, those ancient rabbis would not have prayed that prayer if they had understood the word of God. Beloved, please open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Our passage this morning are verses 11 through 16. This is the faith of Sarah. Uh, The author of Hebrews takes the faith of Sarah and inserts it into the broader section of the faith of Abraham, which is fitting and proper because in the most blessed, the most sacred, the greatest gift at the human level relationship of husband and wife, the one flesh union, it's quite fitting to join Sarah and Abraham together as the author does here. Now, we understand that the Old Testament was written in part, according to 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11, as an example for us, for our instruction. And beloved, Sarah is an example par excellence of faith, of one who believes, of someone who believes God promise and with her husband Abram won a couple who seeks God's country in a word and this is an outline a twofold outline for these six verses Sarah is a model example of a promise believer and a country seeker and the intent the purpose that the author wrote for the original audience the Jewish Christian believers and that God has for you and me the purpose is again this is for our instruction for our training for our reproof for our guidance in godliness in all things beloved listen as i read the word of god hebrews chapter 11 and beginning in verse 11 by faith even sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she had considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore also there was born of one man, and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is on the seashore. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. 
For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. This is the word of God that has been read in your hearing. Please attend to it as such. So, first, beloved, in verse 11 through the beginning of verse 13, we see Sarah as a model example of a promise believer, of one who believes the word of God. And what we have is Sarah is the promise believer, and God is the promise keeper. So, at the beginning, look at verse 11. By faith, even Sarah herself, that beautiful equation, by faith that we've seen so far in Hebrews 11. By faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. Now, by faith, Sarah. It affirms and emphasizes, too, that Jewish Christian audience that was being tempted, they're being pulled, their family, neighbors, and countrymen and women were telling them, come back, turn away from this new Christian religion, come back to the ritualistic, legalistic, sacrificial system they had set up at that time. And the author is affirming and emphasizing again and again the salvation that is in Christ is the same salvation that has always been the case with God and his people by faith. And even when we think of uh, Sarah joining this list, we know that Abel had a worshiping faith. Enoch had a walking faith. Noah had a working faith. A few weeks ago when we looked at Abraham, I said he had a wayfaring faith. And if we want to extend the alliteration, I might be running out of room here. We could say that Sarah had a womb-bearing faith. I'm not sure I'll be able to have another one when we come with Isaac, but I'll enjoy this as long as I can. But, beloved, the main point here is Abraham, who received the promise of God, had to have a wife that was a godly woman, a woman of faith. That's why the author says, by faith, even Sarah herself, look at the text, received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life. Uh, In the original Greek language, it literally says, by faith, Sarah herself also, barren, received power to conceive beyond the time of life. You see, Sarah begins this august list of barren, godly women in the Bible where God steps in, demonstrating the sovereignty of God in these godly women. Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Elizabeth, uh, Sarah begins this list. And even that word barren, to be sure, Abraham was as good as dead. He was an old man when it came to producing the promised son that God had promised him. But Sarah is the barren one. In fact, in Genesis 25, after Abraham's beloved wife Sarah goes home to be with the Lord, he has, chil- has six children afterwards. So the point here is Sarah's barren Womb. Now, turn with me, if you would, for a moment back to Genesis chapter 18. You can keep your thumb or put a bookmark in Genesis. We'll reference a few chapters and verses here. So we know that God called Abraham out of Ur in Genesis 12, gave him his promises. In uh, Genesis chapter 13, he walked about the land with Lot, and Lot 
went by sight, but Abraham went by faith in terms of picking the land. In Genesis 14, uh, Abraham was used and blessed by God after he meets someone even greater than himself, Melchizedek, to help rescue and defeat kings. Um, in Genesis 15, God cuts his covenant with Abraham. In Genesis chapter 16, both Abraham and Sarah have a weakness of faith, and they give Hagar, the Egyptian maidservant, to Abraham, and he bears a son with Hagar named Ishmael. In Genesis 17, God lays out the roles of what he himself, God, will do, and Abraham and Sarah and even Ishmael and Isaac as well, who will come later. And he gives the sign of the Abrahamic covenant, circumcision. And then in chapter 18, Abraham meets three men. And what they are, they are a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, God himself in human form, and two angels. And so that's where we pick it up. In Genesis 18, verse 9, where you read the words, Then they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing. And Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you. At this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah Denied it, however, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. You see, this is 24 years into the waiting game. God had told Abraham and Sarah that they would bless, that many seeds, uh, seeds as a uh, dust as stars of the heavens and dust on the earth would come from them. But 24 years of unanswered prayer is what they had at this point, what Sarah had. And so, Sarah momentarily, instead of focusing on the promise of God, she focuses on the powerlessness of the flesh, and she laughs in unbelief. And even what we see here is when God ministers to Sarah, God does speak to Sarah directly at the end of verse 15, but first God ministers to Sarah through her husband Abraham. So from the very beginning, from Genesis chapter 1, even before the fall, God lays out the fact that there is absolute equality of worth and essence of male and female being made in the image of God, and God has put the husband in place as head to lovingly lead their wives. And just a side thought on that, how sad it is the too often reality where the wife is more godly than the husband. And She's in a difficult situation to try to encourage the spiritually less mature husband while at the same time simultaneously submitting to him as before the Lord. So men, if I could take this advantage, husbands, are you loving your wives the way Christ loved the church? Are you growing in Christ? How are your quiet times? Are you spending daily time in prayer and the word? Is your wife the one that is leading the charge and encouraging the family and the children to godliness and being more committed to the Lord? Now, when we think of Sarah, 
Uh, we see here that this is a failure on her part. And many times, and I even saw this in some of the commentators, not the commentators that I studied on this, uh, espouse this position per se, but they addressed it. Some people say, well, there's some kind of mix-up here because Sarah shouldn't be used as a godly example of faith because she laughed in unbelief. Well, similar to Thomas, uh, the apostle, many of you may know that I don't like to call Thomas doubting Thomas because Thomas doubted, as did the rest of the apostles. Uh, in the same way, Sarah did laugh here in a lapse of belief, but so did Abraham. Turn back or look back to chapter 17. Uh, chapter 17, verses 5 through 10. Actually, make that 15 through 19. Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarah, your wife, you will not call her name Sarai, but Sarah will be her name. And I will bless her. And indeed, I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her. And she will be a mother of nation. Kings of peoples will come from her. Verse 17. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And pause there for a second. We may ask the question, well, yeah, okay, I, I've heard that Sarah laughed in disbelief or unbelief, but is Abraham laughing here in unbelief, or is this a kind of a laughter of joy? Well, look at verse 18. And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. So Abraham is definitely not laughing in verse 17 in belief because he now tries to provide an optional alternative outside the will of God. Verse 19, but God said, no, Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son and you will call his name Isaac and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. So again, Beloved, God had previously told Abraham that he would have seed numbering as the stars in heaven and dust of the earth. He did that back in Genesis 13. And both Abraham and Sarah should have understood that under the umbrella of the monogamous relationship that God had established all the way back in the Garden of Eden of one man and one woman, one husband and one wife for life. And if they had understood that, it wouldn't have led into the sin in Genesis 16. But here in verse 15 that we just read, Sarai's name is changed to Sarah. And Sarah means princess. And God, this name given to this choice woman by God is because she will be the mother of nations and kings. And God is very specific. It will be through the son of promise, Isaac. And also note that God blesses Sarah twice in the one verse, in verse 16. Now, to be sure, God does bless Ishmael. Look at verses 20 and 21 here in Genesis 17. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him, and I will make him fruitful, and will multiply him exceedingly. He will become the father of 12 princes, and I will make him a great nation. So God does bless Ishmael. But, but, verse 21, my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this season next year. God blesses Ishmael, but Isaac will be the covenant son and will come from Sarah. And by the way, the name Isaac means he laughs. It means he laughs. But 
Now, back in Hebrews 11, verse 11, again, even Sarah herself by faith received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life. And then verse 11 finishes, since, because this is the reason why, she considered him faithful who had promised. And in the original language, the word faithful is, is thrust forward. Since faithful, she considered him who had promised. Now, we are given, this is, is, it's kind of a paradoxical situation here. We're given Sarah as an example of faith, of faithfulness. After Abel, Enoch, Noah, and Abraham. But beloved, dear friend, it is the faithfulness of God upon which. It is the faithfulness of God that is the rock, is the foundation of our faith. The foundation of our hope, the foundation of our joy. The foundation of the certainty that we know that when we pass from this life into the next, that our eternity is secure because of the faithfulness of God. And then turn over a few chapters to Genesis chapter 21. As we move on from Genesis 18, we of course have the wretched, intense, perverted situation of Sodom and Gomorrah and the spiritual mess of that, the wasted life and witness of Lot, the despicable behavior of Lot and his daughters and even the moral and spiritual weakness and another failure on the part of Abraham where again he plays the coward and lies and sacrifices his wife Sarah or attempts to or is willing to to save his own skin humanly speaking going into Genesis chapter 21 things are not very hopeful this is a quarter of a century into the waiting game but what we see in Genesis 21 is by God's gracious power, she, Sarah, who was fearful in Genesis 18, becomes fruitful. Look at verses 1 and 2 of Genesis 21. Then the Lord took note of Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. Beloved, finally, a fixed time and place appointed by God at that fixed time and appointed place by God, the son of promise is born. At the end of Galatians chapter 4, the apostle Paul cites both Ishmael, who was born of Hagar, and Isaac, who was born of Sarah, as an example of salvation by faith alone, apart from the works of of the law. You see, Ishmael allegorically represents human effort of man trying to save himself, of Abraham and Sarah trying to improve on the promise and the plan of God which spawned Ishmael, although God did bless Ishmael. Isaac represents the, the uh, supernatural blessing and mercy of God who brings life where there was only death before. And that even sets the stage for what was written by the Apostle Paul earlier in Galatians 4, in verses 4 and 5, where Paul wrote, When the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, the man Jesus Christ, who came through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that he, Jesus, might redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive the adoption as sons. End quote a verse, and daughters of faith as well. Because, beloved, back 
in chapter 18, verse 14, do you remember the question? The ultimate rhetorical question of all rhetorical questions is anything too difficult for the Lord? And the resounding answer is no, it is no. At the appointed time, God will bless and do bless Abraham and Sarah with a son. Who opens and closes wombs? Who is sovereign over conception, gestation, and procreation. The Lord is the one who is sovereign. And beloved, dear friend, each and every conception is, in a sense, a divine miracle by which a new image bearer of God is created. The inauguration of a new human life, of a sacred life. And so, within the one year of God's prophecy, of God's promise, Sarah's Laughter of unbelieving doubt is turned into laughter of believing joy. Look at verses 6 and 7 of Genesis 21. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. Not will laugh at me, will laugh with me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age? Beloved, those who laugh will laugh with her at God's kind providence. And even Isaac's name, which I said before, means he laughs. That is a memorial. That's a reminder of God's faithfulness. To be sure, the example the author of Hebrews brings out here is Sarah's faithfulness. But that name is the ultimate testimony of God's faithfulness of God's faithfulness of even the promise that he gave Adam and Eve all the way back in Genesis 3 verse 15 that through this lineage that God has carrying out through Genesis and the rest of the Old Testament would come one who would crush the head of the evil one one who would be the promised singular seed through whom God's promise to Abraham that he will bless all the nations would come Also, just a quick note, notice there in verse 6 and 7 that not only did Sarah, not only was she miraculously regenerated to be able to give birth where she was barren before at an old age, so also she nurses as well. This is a complete healing. This is complete regeneration, similar to the deaf man that had difficult speaking that we read about in Mark chapter 7, when Christ healed him, not only did he instantaneously have the ability to hear, but he was instantaneously speaking clearly in a language that he'd never even heard before. That is the work of God at hand here. Beloved, the spiritual application for us, because this applies equally to Abraham and Sarah, uniquely in their situation, and to you and me, some 4,000 years later even today, is that the gospel, the good news, the power of God transforms pride into praise, mourning into empathy, anger into purpose, obsession into discipline, or particularly in the case of Sarah, doubt into joy. And that's why I chose for our public reading of Scripture earlier, Psalm 126. I don't have time to read through it again here, but I commend you to go back and read Psalm 126 with the lens of God's good work in the life of Sarah that we have here. Abraham is the father of Isaac, and through whom the nation of Israel come. He's also the father of much of the 
Arab world. And as I indicated it earlier, at the end of Galatians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul brings out this distinction because there are two sons with two mothers, Hagar and Sarah, two births. Ishmael's birth illustrates self-effort and self-salvation. Isaac's birth illustrates faith. And Sarah is the key. She is the mother of Israel exclusively. And, in a sense, understand this. All of us, in a certain sense, are children of Sarah. Because we accept salvation by grace. We're supernaturally conceived. We are divine miracles. Both Jew and Arab who are in Christ are part of the same family. Even as God has broken down any wall of separation between Jew and Gentile. And beloved, God always has a reason for his delays. He had it for a specific providential purpose for Sarah and for Abraham. He has it for you and for me. And in the same way that the author of Hebrews is encouraging his original audience, don't go back to your old religious system. Don't look back. Don't go backwards. Stay the course to the end. Run through the tape is in essence what he's saying. So also that's what you and I must do in our challenges, our trials, our disappointments. So, Sarah is the promised believer. God, however, is the promise keeper. And we see this in verse 12, where life comes from apparent death. Look at the text. He says, Therefore, also, there was born of one man, and him as good as dead at that. You see, Abraham, for a quarter of a century, had seen children that were being born. The servants, Abraham's servants, as God was blessing him, were having babies and raising them. They crawled at his feet. Surely he heard the cries of babies and the joyful squeals of delight of children in the tents around them. And it seemed that fate was mocking his and Sarah's barrenness. Abraham can't produce the seed, seems to be unable to produce the seed through whom the nations of the earth would be blessed, the one that would crush the head of the evil one. Yet, as we read in Hebrews eleven twelve, 12, it was born of one man and him as good as dead at that. Look at the end of verse 12. As many descendants as the stars of heaven in number and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Now, when that prophecy was given to Abraham back in Genesis 13 and reaffirmed in 21 and others as well and even reaffirmed also to Isaac and Jacob they could maybe count, if they could, up to them, a few thousand stars in the sky. We now know with the technology that we've developed, there aren't just thousands of stars in the sky. There are millions and millions, if not billions. But the point is, man can't count the stars. But God can count the stars, does count the stars, and in fact, he knows them by name and names them all. That's why God said to the prophet Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 26, he says, Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. The one who leads forth their host by number. He calls them all by name because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one of them is missing. Beloved, the point here is when we join together God's good promise to Abraham and to Sarah. And that great statement about God's sovereignty and omnipotence from Isaiah, God is in essence saying, I'm the one who made these stars. 
And I am the one who keeps my promises. And that is what Sarah believes. Sarah is the promise believer. God is the promise keeper. And even the word therefore that you see at the beginning of verse 12, that drives home the central importance of Sarah's faith in the fulfillment of God's promise to husband Abraham. Sarah shows in a remarkable way the power of faith in bringing about and realizing God's blessing. Of course, under the umbrella of God's sovereignty and according to God's plan. And then in verse 13, there's a slight transition where the author pivots to a general summary of the great cloud of Old Testament witnesses that we, he gives us here in chapter 11, namely of promise believers. In verse 13, he says, all these died in faith. So the first reference would be Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, and Sarah. But it would also go forward after Sarah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the other examples as well. And they died in faith. Literally, they died according to faith. They died in the path of faith. They died in the way of faith. This great cloud of Old Testament witnesses of promise believers they believed the promises of God they kept believing the promises of God and they died believing the promises in some cases even though they didn't see any fulfillment of it in fact specifically Abraham Isaac and Jacob all received the direct promise from God that God would give this land to them but they spent their entire lives as nomads so also Sarah That's why in verse 13, the author says, without receiving the promises, watch this, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance. So they didn't see the promises fulfilled with their eyes, but their conviction was so strong, the not seen became the seen with their God-given eyes of faith. And beloved, it's unique to them in terms of what the promise is, but the same dynamic applies to you and to me. You have God's promise. You have Jesus' promise that he is preparing a place for you, that he went before to prepare that place for you, and he will come and return to bring you to himself. That's why Jesus himself said, Matthew 13, verse 17, he told his disciples, Truly I say to you, that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and desired to hear what you hear and did not hear it. You see, all the men and women of God in the Old Testament died in faith as they had lived in faith. That's the cloud of witnesses that God gives us here in Hebrews chapter 11. And beloved, understand this, for you who believe in Christ alone, by faith alone, the hour of death, your hour of death becomes your hour of victory. That is the promise of God. So, Sarah is, again, an example par excellence, an example par excellence of a promised believer. Sarah and Abraham are model country seekers as well. And at the end of verse 13 through verse 16, we have this paradoxical combination of being both homeless and homebound. Look at the end of verse 13. And having confessed, these, this is these who died in faith, and having confessed that they were strangers 
and exiles on the earth. Strangers, xenos, aliens. They were exiles. They were living in a foreign country in a land that was not their own. They were sojourners in a strange place as exiles. And that's the same kind of thought the Apostle Peter had when he opened up his letter, his first epistle, the first letter of Peter to the churches in Asia Minor that were suffering persecution. Peter said, 1 Peter 2.11, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers. Or the Apostle Paul who wrote to the Santan Bible Church of Philippi, the church that gave him great joy. He said, Our citizenship is in heaven. And even Abraham himself used the same language. If you're in Genesis, look or turn back to Genesis or listen, Genesis chapter 23, verses 1 through 4, we read these words. Now Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. A couple songs ago, we sang to the Lord that he has numbered our days. God numbered Sarah's days. God has numbered your days as well, verse 2, and Sarah died in Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Then Abraham rose from before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heth, saying, I am a stranger and a sojourner among you. Give me a burial site among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. Uh, by way of reminder, the author of Hebrews quoted from the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible because this group of Jewish believers, this Jewish congregation, were Greek-speaking. And that's the exact quote from which he talks about the strangers and exiles right there from Abraham's words in Genesis 23, verse 4. But also note this, just a quick point here regarding Sarah. We know precisely how old Sarah was when she died. Sarah is the only woman in Scripture that we know the age of death. We had no idea how old Eve was when she went home to be with the Lord. Uh, Rebecca, Rachel, Deborah, Ruth, Mary, Martha, uh, Lydia. We don't know how old any of these godly women were, but there's something unique about Sarah. We know precisely when Sarah died, and we know where Sarah died. Back in Hebrews 11, verse 14, he continues, the author continues this dynamic of being both homeless and homebound, he says, for those who say such things make it clear that they're seeking a country of their own. They are earnestly seeking diligently a patris, a fatherland, a country of their own. This is the pilgrim's progress of Sarah and Abraham. This is a realization, an evidence, an example, a model of even the opening statement in Hebrews 11, verse 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. You see, the author also says in verse 15, and indeed, if they had been thinking of that country, this is Hebrews 11, verse 15, and indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. You see, beloved, you need to understand this. Ur of the Chaldeans, from which God called Abraham and Sarah by extension back in chapter 12, was a much more advanced society than the land of Canaan to which they went. Abraham and Sarah left that highly civilized Ur for a wandering life around the outskirts of a less civilized land. 
And he says, if they had been thinking, and this is just a point to understand this, he's not saying that if they had a momentary longing or a, a brief thought of what life was like before, even the grammar means that they were continuously, it was a continual yearning that they did not have. Because the point is, when Abraham and Sarah left Ur, in a sense, they did so completely. There was no looking back. And so their unswerving faith in their eternal home makes them models of faith for all believers. They are model country seekers, a country that is not their own. And then verse 16, the author finishes his treatment of Sarah here. He says, but as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. They reach after this desire that they have here to be sure it describes a feeling but it's action too. They, they're stretching out in order to grasp that which they are so diligently desiring and seeking. And what is it? It's a better country. One of the prevailing threads, one of the common themes through Hebrews is the absolute superiority of Christ and his ministry and the new covenant that he brings. Uh, In the new covenant, in Christ, there's a better priesthood, a better hope, a better covenant, a better ministry, better sacrifice, a better possession, a better city, a better country, a better blood. And so that is why even some 2,000 years prior to God being born as a baby and becoming the man Jesus Christ, Sarah and Abraham left the land of pagans to enter the land of promise by faith. They, even when they're in that land of promise and around the land of promise, they didn't fix their eyes on the tents of Canaan. Rather, they fixed it on the city of God. And that's why, look in the middle of verse 16, therefore... God is not ashamed to be called their God. They were God-honored because they were God-honoring. Abraham and Sarah honored God by their faith in him. God honored them by calling himself their God. And also understand this, there is an implication, that's the explicit statement that God gives us here, but there's an implication that there are some people for whom God is ashamed those who die without faith God is ashamed of those who don't believe he can do what he promises God is ashamed by implication and right extension of those who don't believe in him don't believe what he says even those we know every human being knows ultimately that God does exist but those who deny it those who suppress that truth and unrighteousness according to the text of Hebrews eleven sixteen, God is ashamed of them. But for those for whom he's not ashamed, that's you and me, by God's grace and mercy, if we're in Christ, he has prepared a city that is a heavenly one, a heavenly kingdom to those who endure in faith even unto death. The end of verse 16. For he has prepared a city for them, a city a citizenship, a family. Revelation 21, what is this city? You can turn or you can listen as I read Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4. We get a 
powerful, beautiful picture from the pen, from the quill, so to speak, of the Apostle John in his great vision on the Isle of Patmos. Revelation 21, verse 1, John wrote, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Beloved, that is the city of God that Sarah and Abraham and the saints of old had their eyes fixed on. And this means that you and I, we are in Christ spiritual expatriates. We were by birth, by our first spiritual passport, Christless, homeless, hopeless, and godless. But now, as Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesian church in Ephesians 2.19, we are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. And that includes Sarah and Abraham. We have two passports, and we have something even better than a passport. We have a new birth certificate. We were strangers and exiles. We had no family, no home. But now you belong. You're in God's household as a member of the family, as an adopted son or an adopted daughter, with all the privileges and joys and blessings of a child. We who confess this by word, by life, and even in death, that this present existence on earth is one of sojourning and exile away from our true and eternal home that we just read of in Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4. Finally, what can we say in closing about Sarah? She was a woman of great fortitude. She left Ur of the Chaldeans with her husband Abraham because she believed God's promise. She proved herself to be a woman of faith in the years of danger and hardship in the land of promise. She was a woman of fortitude. She was a woman of great forgiveness. She forgave Abraham, even though twice he, so to speak, threw her under the bus to save his own skin in Genesis 13 and 20. She was a woman of great foresight. She discerned and understood the conflict that would come between Isaac and Ishmael's had the brothers remained in the same house. Most importantly, beyond being a woman of fortitude, forgiveness, and foresight, she was a woman of great faith. And that's why she is given as the example she is here in Hebrews 11, verse 11. Roman Catholics venerate Mary. And certainly Mary was a very, very godly young woman, but nowhere in Scripture do we ever see Mary being lifted up as an example. But Sarah is given by the Apostle Peter as an example of a godly Christian wife in 1 Peter 3, 6. Or for all of us, listen to God's counsel to all of us in Isaiah 51, verses 1 and 2. Beloved, listen. Beginning quote. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, who seek the Lord. 
Look to the rock from which you were hewn and the quarry from which you were dug. Verse 2, look to Abraham your father and to Sarah who gave birth to you in pain. That was genealogically true for Isaac. That is spiritually true to each and every one of us. May we follow in her footsteps. May we follow in his footsteps. May we follow ultimately, of course, first and foremost in his footsteps. Please join me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we praise you and thank you, Lord, for your grace and for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for this great cloud of witnesses. Thank you for the encouragement of the cloud of witnesses that are part of our beloved Santan Bible Church and many women in every Bible-believing church around the world, whatever land, tongue, tribe, or nation where your children come. Thank you, Lord, for the communion and the fellowship of the saints, which you purchased and secured and made possible by your once-for-all sacrifice at the cross, Lord Jesus. We praise you and thank you for this newness of life. And it is for your glory and for your honor, Lord, that we want to apply these great truths from your word to our walk. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.